We are continuing in our study of the book of Exodus, and in just a moment I'll begin reading from Exodus chapter 12 in a series we've entitled, The God Who Makes Himself Known. And we come this morning to a passage which some have argued is at the heart of the Exodus story, the Passover, the, what I've entitled the promised Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let me pray and then we'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 12, the book of Exodus. Lord, thank you for your word and for particularly the, the words that we are looking at this morning. And now I pray, Lord Jesus, Father, by your spirit that that you would help me not only to navigate the nuances and intricacies of this most momentous event in the history of your people in the Old Testament, but Lord, with careful and compassionate words, make thoughtful connections to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Lord, whether these be new and unfamiliar stories to us, or Lord, they be familiar, I pray you would give to each of us the heart of a, a child to receive what is here in your word and be not only nurtured by your word, and enabled by your word to exalt Christ, but to experience again the depths of your grace, Lord, that we might rejoice in the gospel together and live lives of obedience to the fame of Jesus, who is prefigured and pointed to here in almost every word that we read. So help us, Lord, take us by the hand. And I do pray, even now, Spirit of God, you would help me and help those who are listening to me to not be distracted, but to lean in. Whatever is distracting us, Lord, distracts us from what is perhaps the most significant event in the history of your people in the old which points to the most significant event in the history of the world revealed in the new. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I often do, I like to talk to the kids first and then try to make a connection with them in the middle of the message, and then hopefully when we get to the application, then the application seems simple and accessible to them. Uh, while we were driving to the service this morning, Linda asked me, uh, and I'm a very safe driver, so she knew I wasn't paying attention to this. I'm the safest driver in our family, actually. Uh, and we have the records to prove that. Uh, honey, that's what she calls me. Honey, are you noticing the leaves? Are you noticing the color of the leaves. And I have to admit, as we were driving safely, I wasn't noticing the color of the leaves. I was noticing 
that 495 isn't yet painted, something far less spectacular. Been following the repaving of 495. I've just recovered from the relabeling of all the exit signs using mileage markers, which is completely confusing to me. And when I looked up and looked out, kids, I noticed that the colors of the leaves this morning, glistening as they are from the rain, was spectacular. And in that moment, even as I drove, I made the conscious choice to thank God for the beauty of what he has made. I had to notice it, and in this case, Linda pointed it out to me, but then I also had to personally respond to what I was seeing and say, Lord, thank you. You came up with this in the first place as our creator. I rejoice in what you've made. It's a simple thing. Exodus 12 comes to us, kids, and the careful account that Moses gives to us and the details of the instructions he provided, well, the Lord provided to him, which he in turn communicated to Israel God wants you and I to notice something and noticing it to then personally, Jim used this word in our saying, appropriate, meaning take hold of it and respond to it and make it yours in light of what we read here. And what we read here in Exodus chapter 12 is... God's miraculous deliverance of his people from Egypt through the Exodus. Let's read the passage. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb, verse 5, shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt 
fastened. Notice this. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so 
they did. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. May he be glorified as we consider it together. The Passover lies in the eyes of many scholars at the heart of the Exodus story. And as people whom not only are believers that this is God's word, the Passover prepares us to receive the gospel of the new Testament as well. And that really is my main point this morning. And in order for us to both consider its significance, the Passover, for these, this generation and subsequent generations of Israelites, and then to make thoughtful application in light of what the New Testament says about Christ being our Passover lamb, we have to begin with this. Chapter 12 announces, God announces, it's really God speaking. He's doing the majority of the speaking. Even though you heard me reading the words, it was God who was speaking. He gives a long speech here that the Passover is a new beginning for Israel, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel. The Passover signifies a new beginning for Israel. Let me acknowledge something that at least was interesting to me as I considered it. As Israel leaves Egypt following their deliverance, what's the first thing God gives them? He gives them a new calendar. He gives them a new calendar with a new date on that calendar to be celebrated and remembered by them when they are in the land God is taking them to. And that is emphasized throughout the entire chapter. This is the first time in Exodus that God has talked to his people about holy days and holy months. And I imagine, although I have nothing in my experience to capture this, that having been slaves for 400 years under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, that calendaring and planning weren't exactly what they did every Sunday night after supper. They were slaves. Their sense of time and calendaring was eclipsed by their station and oppression as slaves. And God is changing all that. He's starting something new. 
He's marking out a new time for them. In other words, the Passover would mark the end of their time in Egypt and the beginning of their new identity as the people of God, Israel, in the promised land. Let me tell you something also very interesting is that this is the first time God addresses Israel as a congregation. You saw that word. I did too in verse 3. Tell all the congregation. That on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, and then the instructions that follow. That word occurs a hundred times in the book of Exodus. And it occurs even more in Joshua. But this is the first time it occurs in our story. Tell all the congregation. Why is it significant? Up to now, the, the people have been called Hebrews, which is their ethnic identity. They've been called the sons of Israel, another name for Jacob, their patriarch. But they have never been called by the Lord a congregation, a holy assembly, a community. See, as a Westerner, which I thank God I am, meaning living here in this country, I'm aware that the Passover, and it does, talks about the forgiveness of our sin and the sparing us from judgment, but I completely overlook the fact that it also mentions I, we have a new identity. You if you're a Christian, are part of something, a congregation, a holy assembly, which gives us not only a new identity and a new calendar with certain events marked out, but it means we're moving in a common direction. Sorry, internet. The people of God are moving in a common direction shaped by the Passover event which prefigures and points to and prepares us for Christ. Everything is changing. Their calendar, their identity, their destination, their purpose. Have you ever wanted a new beginning? Boy, I have every Monday morning on my way to work. No, I'm just kidding. But I often think I want a new beginning, a new start, a fresh start to leave the past behind. Have you ever hoped, I know many have, that, that you and I have interacted with, or perhaps you are, have you ever hoped that you wouldn't be defined by something you did or didn't do in your past, maybe when you were young, 10 years old, or, or a young adult at 20 years old, or a 30-something, a or even later. I mean, it's the World Series right now, and I know you tire of my sports illustrations, but there are some memorable moments in baseball history where players have made a terrible mistake and Red Sox fans know some of these. 
Games have been lost, series has been cost, and they have been haunted by the reality, not just Red Sox, but other teams, certainly, I grew up with the Phillies, come on. Haunted by the reality, it's as if it, re, it staked out on their identity. Mitch, when you gave up the home run to the Toronto Blue Jay, we lost the World Series because you were the wild thing. His house got soggy-woggied for two weeks after that game, and he moved out of the area. When we come to this passage and the Lord says to these people, this is what the Passover signifies for you, a new beginning. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news, kids, that makes me want to then go to God and appropriate, receive, take into my life the promises and methods for delivering me from my situation. Here's what I mean by appropriation as I transition to my second point. God not only gives us a new beginning, but God unveils a new method of deliverance. I didn't sleep very well last night. I think I was excited about the World Series game that I watched. I also had a late cup of coffee late in the day, which is a problem. And so I'm feeling tired right now. And so you know what I do when I feel tired? I reach for my favorite cup of coffee and I appropriate some caffeine. Mmm. It's cold. The splash of cream seems to be wearing off. But I'm convinced that in about 15 minutes, when this sermon is nearing its end, that slug of caffeine is going to provide a spark, a catalyst, some new energy to do what I need to do today. God, beginning in verse 4, proposes a new method, if I can use that language, to deliver his people, to save his people from judgment because of his steadfast love. Because of his steadfast love for, for Israel, he is proposing and promising a new method to save his people from Pharaoh, but also to deliver his people from his coming judgment on their sin, but they will have to do something to appropriate it, to receive it, to bring it into their own lives. Let's look at what God says. Verse four, verse three, tell all the congregation that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. Verse six, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Scholars speculate that was probably two million, the four million lambs being killed at midnight on that evening. Then you shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which you eat. You shall eat the flesh of the lamb that night. 
you shall let none of it remain, verse 10, until the morning. And in this manner you shall eat it, verse 11, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. I love this phrase. It is the Lord's Passover. That is repeated three times in the passage we read. This is the Lord's Passover. God, beginning in verse 3 and really through verse 13, gives careful instructions about this meal. He plans the menu. He, he, he describes how he wants it served. And he says, when? So, you know, he picks the menu and how it's to be served. He tells the people how to eat it with their belt tightened around their tunics and their sandals on and their, their GPSs, batteries, because they're about... And why is he telling them this? He's telling them this because the angel of death, he's called the destroyer later in the passage, is about to pass through the most powerful nation in the world. And holy justice, as we spoke about it last week, is about to be visited on Egypt. And the only thing that can protect the Israelites is an unblemished lamb killed and its blood placed publicly as a sign over the doorposts and entranceway of their household. That's their only hope. Think about it. Two to four million people setting apart a choice lamb, slaughtering it, and then with hyssop, those branches, I guess, that would be like paintbrushes, Painting the doors. What a visceral, graphic scene. And why? Because God, through Moses, says this, this verse 13, blood shall be a sign for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In other words, to believe the Lord is to not only take him at his word, but to now do what he says must be done and kill this lamb and have its blood publicly displayed. The firstborns, can you imagine those of you that are firstborns and sons? When they heard this, I'm a firstborn, they must have been terrified. We're all born with certain fears. I, when I was born, I was afraid of many things. I'm still afraid of sharks. Moved to New England, and that's probably one of my biggest fears, sharks. And they're not going away, according to the Boston Globe. Lots of them right now down at the Cape. We're born with all kinds of fears. Fear of the dark, right? When we're young, maybe fear of being alone, alone in the dark. And then sometimes we have a, maybe a more 
deep-seated fear where we feel like there's danger. There's danger lurking. Scary house, scary person, scary food that mom serves or dad makes like liver. That, I feel like there's danger when liver was on my plate as a youngster. That represents danger. <laughs> and dad's saying, and you're gonna eat danger tonight. But then there's this. The Lord, the Lord is sending a destroyer. Wait, Mom, Dad, for nine plagues, we've lived in the land of Goshen. God has made a gracious distinction. We haven't seen any of this. I mean, we've seen it, but we haven't experienced any of this. There's been a distinction between Egypt and us. But this says, if there isn't blood on the doorpost, no distinction will be made. We're the sons of Abraham. We're Jewish. We're, we've been victimized by Pharaoh for 400 years. We're oppressed. We've, we, we may even be keeping some of the traditions of our patriarchs. We, we may be religious. We, no distinction is being made here except the blood of the lamb. Goshen can't save them. And kids, I think this is where kind of the rubber meets the road when we're young and we're growing up in a Christian home and, and Christian homes can be lovely, safe, and, and uh, wonderful. They're a gift from God, no question. But I have to do something in response to what God has done that my parents can't do for me. And do you know what that is? I, not my parents, I have to appropriate. I have to take hold of the promise that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb in the New Testament. And it's through his bloody sacrifice on Calvary and his death on the cross that God's judgment and wrath for my sins, even at a young age, he has promised he will what? Pass over. But often, and this wasn't my experience because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I knew where I stood on these issues because I was living in a way that would be embarrassing to share. I could falsely conclude, well, my dad loves Jesus. My mom loves the word. I'm safe. I live in the land of Goshen. Well, God is gracious, and he loves you, and you're safe in one sense, but you're not saved. Not from this judgment. How shocking that must have been to the parents to realize for the first time in this story of God's deliverance, we're not safe. We've been given a rescue plan. God has proposed a method because of his 
steadfast love for us. He has, he has created a way of escape, but we have to take hold of the promise and do what he told us to do because the angel of death is coming. The firstborn must not only have been afraid, but I think the parents probably had a come to Yahweh moment when they said, wait a second, no distinction will be made apart from our obedience to this new method. And so the instructions that are given, notice the care of Moses. He's so detailed. He's so detailed. Those of you that are detailed must love the fact that Moses is detailed. He doesn't want anyone to perish for failure to follow the instructions of the Passover meal, both in its preparation and in its eating, including the instructions to eat in haste. Why? For they will be leaving in a matter of hours. When the angel of death comes, they will be leaving in a matter of hours. And so they must be prepared to leave and leave soon. This would not be a meal one could enjoy in a relaxed way, given what is happening this night in Egypt. But on this journey, they are about to embark on following their deliverance from Pharaoh in Egypt. The steadfast love of the Lord is on full display as God does the unthinkable. He passes over them in judgment through the blood of a sacrificed lamb and redeems them from their slavery. And in so doing, prepares God's people for Christ. This is my third point. The New Testament pass pictures or looks back at the Passover and says that the drama depicted here depicts and prefigures big words. It means it pictures the death of Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sins. These lambs, precious as they were, could never ultimately deal with the problem of, of humanity's sin and its offense to a holy God. It could never fully satisfy the justice of God. And so something else, someone else one day would have to be sacrificed. A substitute would, would have to step forward in which there was no blemish. He would have to be innocent. He would have to be sinless. In fact, he was truly God and fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent and lived and died to bear our sin, absorb God's wrath, that by the grace of God, hallelujah, every person who confesses Christ as their Savior and, and surrenders to Him by making Him Lord, they are forgiven. They are reconciled. They are adopted. 
And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. The debt we owed and could not pay will be paid by the Son of God for all who trust in him. And the New Testament clearly, compellingly teaches that the death of Christ is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. We remember John the Baptist in the opening chapters of John's gospel saying with full force, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Later in John's gospel, he would point out, as John often did, reflecting as he did as the last living apostle when his gospel was published, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it was the precise time in Jerusalem when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. It was late afternoon, Phil Riken writes, and we have this quote, on the eve of the Passover, at twilight, lambs would be sacrificed by every household according to the law of Moses. All over the city, fathers were getting ready to make the offering, gathering their families together and saying, God has provided a lamb for us. They're keeping the feast. Over at the temple, the high priest was also preparing a lamb to present as an atonement for Israel's sin. Then there was Jesus hanging on the cross with sacrificial blood flowing from his hands and side. He was the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. Paul couldn't be clearer to the Corinthians who were Greek when he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. And of course, in the book of Revelation, which we've even written songs or sing songs that celebrate this, John's a vision for all eternity as he sees the throne and hears what is being said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all power. Jesus is identified as the lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. So the New Testament clearly teaches, compellingly teaches, that the death of Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover. And to study Exodus 12 is to be reminded that you need a Passover lamb. I need a Passover lamb in order that God would pass over his judgment of us and through faith in Christ, lead us into a new exodus, if you will, of exalting Christ by experiencing his grace through forgiveness of our sins and being adopted into his new family as children redeemed by him. But what are we then called to do? Verse 14, and this really is my last point. We're called to always remember and never forget the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Verse 14, 17, and you shall observe 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. There you shall observe this day. Then Moses calls all the elders of Israel in verse 21. And after instructing them how to place the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the door, it says in verse 25, and when you, meaning your future generation, your descendants come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, verse 26, what do you mean by this Passover meal? What do you mean by this feast? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The Old Testament Passover and the feast that would now follow it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was a clear pointer to the new feast and the new memorial we celebrate as Christians. Matthew explains it quite persuasively. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them. However, as the disciples would soon learn, when Jesus kept the feast, he did more than celebrate the Passover. He inaugurated a new covenant, a new sacrament. As they were eating, verse 26, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until I drink it that day when I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. The Israelites were commanded to keep the Passover in the years and generations to follow and to keep the feast that they would always remember and never forget what God had done for them in delivering them. We are commanded to keep the Lord's Supper, which looks back to the cross of Christ and celebrates his sacrificial death in our place. This is the feast we have been given, so we will remember and never forget. Jesus made it plain, you do this in remembrance of me. Or as Paul writes, you proclaim his death until he comes. And so next Sunday when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the good news that our sins have been forgiven. Amen? That God's wrath has been fully satisfied. Hallelujah? And that because of Christ as the lamb dying on the cross as our substitute, our sins have been absorbed. God's wrath has been satisfied. My substitute has paid the penalty. And we are by the grace of God not only passed over for judgment, but we are reconciled with the Father, adopted into his family by the grace of God. And it is to take place with others.
for this is a holy thing. It is a gathered church thing. We are to marvel together that Jesus is our Passover lamb and that he died instead of us. That we would never cease to marvel at this sweet reality. Just as the Israelites were never cease to remember how it is they settled in the promised land. For the Passover lamb, which lies at the heart of the book of Exodus, prepares us to receive the gospel in the New Testament. Question as I conclude. The Passover was a life-defining event for the Israelites. It changed everything. Coming to Christ is a life-transforming relationship which changes many things in our lives too. How is turning to Christ this week changing you? The Lord's Supper, like the Passover meal, is a corporate celebration. How does remembering Christ as our Passover lamb, listen for it, unite you with others at the Lord's table? How will you demonstrate your gratefulness, not only for Christ, but your unity with others next Sunday in the celebration of the Lord's Supper together? It's hard to do, but it's, Jesus was quite clear. You have to forgive those who have forgended you. And you have to release them from their guilt and shame. Otherwise, you deny the Lord his glory in forgiving you and taking your and my shame and receiving the punishment for my guilt and yours as the Passover lamb. So yes, next week I unite with people who disagree with me about many things. And I give God the glory because I'm a Christian submitted to Christ. And when the Lord faithfully, as he is so quick to do, <laughs> points out not only that I'm out of time, but that I'm not loving you. When I take those elements, oh Lord, have mercy. Deepen my my sense of gratefulness for your deliverance from your wrath that I might find mercy and grace to forgive others for your glory. The God who makes himself known in the pages of Exodus is continuing to make himself known as we demonstrate our gratefulness to Christ and unity with other believers in the celebration of the Lord's Supper together. This was their defining life event. It changes everything. 
coming to Christ, amen, is a life-transforming event which will continue to change many things. How did Jim put it? On Reformation Day, to Christ be the glory by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these ancient stories, albeit true, that ring with practical and personal implications for our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for the, for the familiarity perhaps I and others have with what are momentous events in both salvation history, but also that help us to appropriate more deeply the work of Christ, our Passover lamb, and the Lord's table, the Lord's supper as our feast in the new covenant. Lord, as we now return to song, first and foremost, receive the glory for what you have done in giving us Christ and use our lives, Lord, together for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Stand.